0: Good morning church. So very good to see you this morning. One of the things that I love about this church family so much is the emphasis that is placed on knowing scripture. We have this morning about a hundred of our young people and parents and volunteers who are down in South Texas doing Bible Bowl this morning and it is so awesome to be part of a church family who not only loves each other and loves the Lord, but loves to study and and know Scripture so that we know the story that we are a part of. I was thinking back to my childhood and thinking about prayer. And in addition to mealtime prayers, the prayer that I remember praying first was the I really need a TV in my room prayer. I don't know if you ever prayed that prayer or not, but... I was convinced by listening to preachers and teachers and my parents that God listens to your prayers and he'll give you what you honestly want and believe and think that he will give you. And so I closed my little eyes and I folded my little hands and I got on my little knees and I prayed for a TV to be in my room right that second. And it opened my eyes fully believing that I would see it. And of course it, it wasn't there. And I... I think a lot about that prayer. And I think a lot about the way I thought about a relationship with God and how that relationship with God is supposed to work. And although we laugh about that sort of thing with children, I don't know that as adults our faith or our relationship with God is too much different. I think that The way a lot of us tend to think about our relationship with God is we think this. We think God wants me to be happy and be good. That's the next slide. God wants me to be happy and be good. and and some of us lean more towards the God wants me to be happy side of things, and some of us lean more towards the God wants me to be good side of things, but that kind of sums up what a lot of us think about our relationship with God, what God wants for us. God wants me to take nice vacations. God wants me to have a nice house. God wants me to have nice clothes. God wants me to drive a nice car. God wants me to be happy, and as long as I'm good, As long as I'm good, then God is pleased with me pursuing those things. Because what God really wants is for me to be happy and be good. And as long as I'm being good and I'm not doing all that bad stuff that other people do, then God is pleased with me having and pursuing a life of comfort and pleasure and wealth. Because after all, God wants me to be happy and be good. But I want to suggest a change in that phrase. God wants me to follow Jesus. God wants me to follow Jesus. That's what God wants for you, is for you to follow Jesus. And that's much different than God wants me to be happy and be good. Because sometimes in following Jesus, we sacrifice this temporary pursuit of temporary happiness. And following Jesus is a whole lot more than just, quote, being good. Here's what Jesus says. Here's what Jesus says. Listen to this quote. This is what Jesus says. If anyone, that includes, you know, like we like to say in Texas, right? All all y'all, right? Anyone, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. And follow me, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. That's what God wants for you. He wants you to live. He wants you to really live. And in order for you to really live, you have to follow Jesus. And in order to follow Jesus, you have to take up your cross and follow him. Now, we've turned that whole idea of following Jesus and taking up our cross, we've sort of diluted that idea of the cross because we've romanticized the cross. But in the first century, nobody had romantic ideals about a cross. A cross wasn't a piece of jewelry A cross wasn't something you hang on the wall as decoration. A cross was an instrument of torture and execution. When you hear Jesus say these words, understand that what Jesus is saying is, if you follow me, I'm going to be executed on a cross and there's a very real possibility that you will be too. And if you're going to follow me, step one of discipleship, not step 132, but step one of discipleship is take up your cross. Embrace your instrument of execution because likely you will die. And whether you do die or not, you need to embrace this. You need to deny yourself. You need to die to yourself in order to follow me. When you see cross, Think something like noose or guillotine or electric chair because that's what Jesus is saying. If you're going to follow me, if you're going to be one of my disciples, you're going to live forever. But in order to live forever, you have to die. In order to live forever, you have to deny yourself. In order to live forever, you have to embrace your instrument of execution. You have to embrace martyrdom because there's a very real possibility you will be a martyr. And you need to accept that from the beginning. From the beginning, you need to say, my life is no longer my life. You need to say what Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ and I don't live any longer. The life I live in the flesh, this life belongs to him who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm dead and everything I am and everything I have belongs to him. And this, this series this month, we're going to talk about three people who listened to that call and who said, I'll, I'll follow you, Jesus. I'll be recruited to, to live life your way, to die to myself and realign my whole life with your mission. Not to try to get you to give me the stuff I want or to give me a healthy and wealthy and comfortable life. But I'm going to realign my life with you and with your mission. Today we're going to talk about a man named Stephen. And we met Stephen last week in Acts chapter 6 as he was one of the men who were recruited to help take care of the Greek-speaking widows. Do you remember? Stephen was one of the men who helped to distribute food to the widows. But in addition to that, Stephen was filled with the Holy Spirit. He did many signs and wonders. So he was going about doing what Christians do. He was doing good. He was helping people. He was blessing people. The Spirit was working through him in a powerful way, probably to heal people. And he was talking about Jesus. Isn't that what we've said as we've gone through the book of Acts? That's what the church does. That's our wheelhouse. That's what we do. We talk about Jesus and we do good. We talk about Jesus, and we do good. And that's what Stephen was doing. He was talking about Jesus, proclaiming the message of Jesus, and doing good. And people hated it. People were angry with him. They accused him of blasphemy. They twisted and distorted his words. And there's an important lesson for us, isn't there? That if we are going to follow Jesus, following Jesus almost always means some people Some people, not all people, but some people will misunderstand you, mischaracterize you, and mistreat you. It's what Jesus said from the very beginning. This whole prosperity gospel idea, this whole health and wealth gospel idea that if you follow Jesus, everything's going to work out and you can have all the stuff you want and you can have the life that all of your peers have and that following Jesus is the way to get all of this earthly stuff. Like that idea, I don't know where we get it because it's certainly not from Jesus. Jesus says, if you follow me, you will be misunderstood you will be mischaracterized. You will be mistreated. This is, what it's, this is what it is to take up your cross and follow me. And Stephen took up his cross and followed Jesus And people misunderstood him and mischaracterized him and mistreated him. In fact, they arrested him and brought him in front of the Sanhedrin. Again, third time we've had Christians brought before the Sanhedrin. And so Stephen is brought in and he begins to give a defense. And really it's interesting because instead of him being on trial, he sort of turns the table on the Sanhedrin and he puts them on trial. And we read things like this. Look at Acts chapter 7 and verse 9. This is part of his sermon. I won't read the whole thing or part of his speech before the Sanhedrin. Acts chapter 7 and verse 9, he says, And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him out of all his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and all his household. He reminds them about the story they're a part of. He reminds them about their forefathers. And that's what he will refer to the patriarchs, the the 12 sons of Jacob. He'll refer to them as our fathers, our fathers. Because he's reminded them, we're just like them. We're just like these guys. And God chose Joseph, that he was going to use Joseph, that he was going to raise Joseph up, that Joseph was going to be a ruler. And you know what our fathers did? They sold him into slavery because they were jealous of him. And his point all throughout this sermon is that this is what our fathers have always done. When God chooses his chosen person to raise up and to rule and to deliver his people and to save his people and to love his people, you know what his people do? Reject that chosen one. Rebel against him. He'll say the same thing about Moses. Look at chapter 7 and verse 35. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, who made you a ruler and a judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. And then he'll say in verse 39, our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside, and in their hearts, they turned to Egypt. He's saying over and over again, this is what our people have a history of doing, of rejecting the one God chooses to rule and redeem and save and deliver his people. Our people keep rejecting him. So Stephen is recruited by Jesus to stand in front of the Sanhedrin, the 70 most powerful, well-respected, honored religious leaders of that time, and Stephen has to stand in front of them and say, you're doing what our people have always done. You are rejecting your own salvation. You are rebelling against God. This is the life to which Stephen is called. This is his assignment this is his mission. This is what Jesus has given him to do, to preach Jesus when people want to hear it and to preach Jesus when people don't. To preach Jesus when people say amen and to preach Jesus when people say don't want to hear that and you're in trouble for speaking it. And the, the toughest part of what he says in verse 51, Acts 7 and verse 51, he says this. Now before I read it, I want us to be careful how we read things because your tone, my tone is not inspired. Isn't that true? These words are inspired. Stephen is inspired by the Holy Spirit, but my tone as I read it or your tone as you read it in your head is not inspired. And I want us to be careful how we read words like this because Stephen does not hate these people. These people hate Stephen, but he doesn't hate them back. These people are angry with Stephen, but Stephen isn't an angry person. And he's not even angry with them. I believe Stephen, in the spirit, is brokenhearted. He's grieved. And so you could read these words angry and mad and hateful and bitter, or you could read these words with the Picturing a a tear rolling down Stephen's cheek and his lip trembling and his hands trembling as he says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. This is a hard mission, isn't it? But Stephen is not unique in this. All of us, anyone who would follow Jesus, we are all called to take up our cross and follow him, to do good and to talk about Jesus no matter what the consequences are. Not in hateful anger, but in love. Even when people hate us for doing it. Now, of course, look at verse 54. It says, now when they heard these things, they were, of course, enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Jesus appears to him to give him confidence to say, I got you. I've got you. You're mine. I am the Son of Man. I am ruling and reigning. I am at the Father's right hand. I've got you. And that same confidence that Stephen could have in a place like that, in a time like that, in a circumstance like that, you get to have. Because the same Jesus who was there for Stephen is there for you. The same Jesus who said, if you take up your cross and follow me, if you deny yourself, if you give up your life, then I will give you life. Jesus gave that promise to Stephen and Jesus gives that promise to you. Now it's interesting to me that the same vision that gave Stephen an incredible amount of confidence further enraged the Sanhedrin. And in fact, they they didn't kill him when he said, y'all are a bunch of murderers. You've been persecuting, and our people have been persecuting God's people for so long, and you, you've betrayed and murdered the Messiah. They didn't kill him when he said that. But when he said, I see heaven open and I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God, when Stephen says Jesus is the Son of Man, Jesus is the exalted Messiah, Jesus is ruler of heaven and earth, that's when they couldn't take it anymore. And that's when they rushed upon him. Look at verse 57. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid their garments at the feet of a young man Name Saul. So much for the prosperity gospel. So much for the idea that God just wants Stephen to be happy and be good. Stephen, all I want for you, just be happy and be good. Go on great vacations, have a great house, have a nice car. What God wanted for Stephen is for him to follow Jesus. And sometimes this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. The Sanhedrin rushed on him grabbed him, dragged him out, and stoned him to death. Stephen took up his cross and he followed Jesus. But you see, Stephen had already signed the check. We we don't sign checks much anymore, but but Stephen had already signed the check. A check for everything. 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 All my life, all my wealth, all my honor, all my reputation, everything, it's all yours, Jesus. And this is the day that that check was cashed. You see, that's what we do when we're baptized, isn't it? We die to ourselves. Paul calls it a burial. Your baptism is a burial, and you are signing over everything to Jesus and say, I'm dead now. When I'm raised up out of that water, I belong to Jesus. My reputation belongs to Jesus. My life belongs to Jesus. My death belongs to Jesus. My hands belong to him. My mouth belongs to him. Everything I am and everything I have belongs to Jesus. And if I die, I die. I'm going to take up my cross and I'm going to follow him. And that, that check may not literally get cashed, but it very well might. Stephen had already signed it over and said, if I die, I die. That's the cost of following Jesus. But the reward is everything. The reward is life. To people like Stephen, Jesus says, the meek shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. You have everything. And then verse 59 and as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, listen, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. Does that sound like someone else you know? Someone else who was being executed? who prayed, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They know not what they do. Stephen followed Jesus in all of these things, in doing good, in proclaiming the gospel, and in giving his life, and even in loving his enemies, loving his enemies so much so that in the very moment that they're executing him, For what? For speaking truth? For loving people? For doing good? Yes. And in the very moment that he is being unjustly executed, taking up his cross, he says, do not hold this sin against them. He didn't hate them. He wasn't bitter against them. He love them. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus. Jesus wants so much more for you than just be happy and be good. Jesus wants you to take up your cross and follow him. Now, that's kind of a rough way to start the week, isn't it? You think, okay, so this is what I'm supposed to do. Die, be stoned, be crucified, be executed, be martyred. Uh, why? If this is what it looks like to follow Jesus, why would I follow Jesus? Well, let me put it this way. Following Jesus, following Jesus frees us from the anxious toil of self-preservation. Stay with me for a second. How much of our life is spent worried and working towards things that will not last. We spend so much time and so much energy and so much effort trying to save our reputation. We spend so much energy and so much effort trying to save our wealth. We spend so much energy and so much effort trying to save our life. And Jesus says, if you follow me, you're gonna lose your life, but you're really gonna find it. See, that's the paradox of following Jesus. The only way to live is to die. The only way to really have life forever is to surrender this anxious toil of chasing a life that will not last. Jesus frees us from that anxious toil. Now imagine, imagine what you could do Imagine how you could really love people. Imagine how you could really love your family, how you could really love your spouse, how you could really love your children, how you could really love your parents, how you could really love your brothers and sisters, how you could really love the church, even when they're not loving you back, even when they're hard on you, even when they're harsh with you, even when they're unfair to you. Imagine how you could love them if you said, Jesus frees me from the anxious toil of self-preservation. I don't have to worry. What am I going to eat and what am I going to wear? What am I going to do? I don't have to worry about these things. I just have to follow Jesus and love the Lord my God with all my heart and soul and mind and strength and love my neighbor as myself. Imagine what our relationships might look like if we really allowed Jesus to free us from this anxious toil of self-preservation, of saying, Jesus has me. Jesus is the son of man who's standing at the right hand of God, and he's got me. I'm his. He's giving me life, and I don't have to worry. I don't have to worry. I don't have to be anxious about my life, about my honor, about my reputation, about my wealth, about my whatever. I don't have to anxiously toil away at these things and try to save these things and preserve these things and make these things that aren't going to last. I can seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And Jesus has me. Imagine the peace that passes understanding if we really would take up our cross and follow Jesus. Imagine what hundreds of people could do in Collin County. Imagine the good we could do if we didn't seek first our own wealth, if we didn't seek first our own honor, if we didn't seek first our own rights, if we didn't seek first our own life, if we were to surrender to God our our own self-preservation and take up our cross and follow Jesus and really believe That if we lose our life for his sake, that's when we truly find it. The promises that Stephen had, the life that Stephen had, the confidence that Stephen had can be ours. This is the promise that Jesus makes to all of us. He can free us from this anxious toil. He can free us from this fear of death. He can free us from this pursuing of things that will not last and can give us life eternal if we take up our cross and follow Him. That's what faith is all about. That's the journey that begins at baptism. And for those of us that have already made that step in being baptized, that's why it's so important to picture baptism as your death and your burial with Jesus and being raised up to say, it's not mine anymore. This life that I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And for those of you that haven't made that step yet, let me encourage you to listen to the words of Jesus. Then you will find it. The life in Jesus is life and it is abundant. And if we can help you in your journey, wherever you are in that journey, whether you're ready to begin it or you need encouragement along the way, we are here for you. Our shepherds would love to meet with you after service in the prayer room or you can come forward as together we stand and sing this song.